0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <clears throat> yeah, it's funny as uh, Jake is speaking about how the Spirit takes things and, and uh, runs with them outside of our control. Um, if you guys ever were able to see behind the scenes <laughs> of, of what takes place uh, to, to do even just Sunday, but church as a whole, uh, there are so many things that get thrown at us. I'm not going to go into the details but um, I'm proud of this team and what they pulled off this morning um, and what they had to deal with coming in and, and some, some curveballs uh, that were thrown at them, uh, some ones you couldn't even imagine. They just, it's just how God works, and uh, he took care of it. So, <clears throat> well, we're in the last chapter of John. We're, we're finishing it up today. And... And uh, if you remember, and I expect you to remember, it's a, it's a quiz, all the way back to January 17th. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? Is that when we started the book of John? Um, yeah, we started the book of John back on January 17th. And when Scott and I sat down and started planning this, um, we were so excited. And uh, we had a huge plan, a, a lot of different mega themes and minor themes. These are all the little things that pastors put together when they put together a preaching series. And, and uh, then God comes in and says, oh, hold up a sec, I've got more. And so as we planned this and we had these great expectations, we had, uh, you got to hear many voices. You got to hear not just Scott and I. Um, You got to hear other voices from our church, which is great because over the next weeks and months, you're going to get to hear some more of those voices as we move into this next chapter here at Freshwater. But one thing we did know, an expectation that we had and was met, and was a theme throughout, is that we would see Jesus. That we would experience Jesus, that he would do amazing things. You know, one of my expectations was that Scott would still be here when I did this message, because we were always planning on me starting and ending this. But that was one of the things that God did to move. It may not always feel like it, right? But he moved. He moved in a big way. And he's still moving, and he's still moving. And we see Jesus more and more. So how do you finish the book of John? How how do you end it? You know, it just seems logical. Just do the last chapter, Sean, which we are. But how do you finish the, the book of John, chapter 21? By talking about underwear. Now, hold on. For those of you who are going, okay, what's Sean going to say this time? And before you start thinking about, we're going to be hiring a senior pastor and a new executive pastor. Just hold up a second. You'll understand in a second where we're going. So let me pray for my eternal soul and this message, and let's jump in. Father God, we just come before you. Lord, we lift up these words that we're about to hear. These words that we've heard out of your gospel of John for a whole year. Father, do something amazing. Change hearts, transform souls. Lord, we pray that these words would be imprinted, tattooed to our hearts as we continue to seek you and find you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me start not with underwear yet, but let me start with this question. How many times or have you ever experienced a moment where you were so overwhelmed by something that, it, that something happened that, that may have been outside of your character, it may have pushed up against social norms, it, it, it may have been out of spontaneity? Uh, you know, let me give you examples, okay? A, an example would be this. You know, when you're overwhelmed by something, let's say Christmas morning, and, and we've all seen the videos, right, of, of someone opening up a gift, and they're so excited that they either let out a scream of joy, they do a victory dance, they, they get so excited they knock the TV off the wall. You've seen the videos, or they knock over the Christmas tree. They get so excited about something that something happens. I, I can relate uh, it was 1984, now you're probably wondering how does Sean know it was 1984, because one of the best albums ever, Van Halen's 1984, was one of my Christmas gifts. Ghostbusters soundtrack, the original one, the only one that really matters, was out that year. I got a boombox. Uh, for those of you in my, yeah, that's the thing, put on your shoulder, two big speakers. But before I opened any of that, before I opened any of those gifts, I'm a fourth grader, I'm a Cub Scout. My dad's been teaching me, and Cub Scout leaders have been teaching me how to use a pocket knife. Excitement. I'm like, oh, is this the year? Is this the Christmas? Or will I have to wait till my birthday? Is, or do they trust me enough to have a pocket knife? And in our house, we even had this conversation yesterday, in our house, that's man rule number three. Man rule number one is love God. Two is love Mama. And three is always have a pocket knife. Okay. <laughs> So I'm getting, I, I'm hoping this is, and my dad hands me the box that's shaped. I'm like, this is it. Before I open up any other gifts, hands it. I'm, it if you picture Christmas Story and the, the Red Rider BB gun. Okay, this is before that movie. That, I didn't even see in this movie. I'm like, this is the day. Hands it, I open it, and I, it's a buck knife. And my dad gave it to me, so I opened it up so I can open up everybody's gifts. You know, there's always that one person at a party, uh, a gift-giving party, that always has the pocket knife. Hey, give me that so I can, you know, they put things, all these zip ties on these things now, but I had the pocket knife to open up gifts. I was so excited, I was jittery. You can see where this is going, right? So I learned all the right ways to use the pocket knife. You never pull it towards yourself, all that sort of stuff. I'm a little kid sitting on the floor opening gifts. So I open up my first tape, I'm like, oh, I got a tape. Second tape, open, tapes, uh, millennials, Gen Z, those are the things that we put in boom boxes that played music. And they're about that big, they get tangled up, you need a pencil, to, a pen to rewind them. And then I get to my boom box, and I'm sitting on the floor, the boom box is between my legs, I, I open it up, and as I'm opening it up, I'm so excited. It's still not just because of the other gifts, but I'm excited because of the pocket knife. And I do this and I stab myself (laughs) right in the leg. I know how to use a pocket knife. I I was a cups, I had a badge for this, okay? Now this first thing goes through my head is I can't let mom know. And I'm in my pajamas and thankfully they were bright colored and I start to bleed. I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom, put my pocket knife down, go to the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know where the band-aids are. Cause I usually ask mom for those, you know, but I find them and I put a band-aid over and I look, remember looking at myself in the mirror going, what did I just do? How did that happen? You see, sometimes we get caught up in stuff, right? We get overwhelmed. Another example, we all know this, this, the saying, look both ways before you cross the street, right? But if we were to see a little child run into the street, you're not looking both ways. You're running out to get that kid and hopefully save them. Sometimes we cast off the things that the world would expect of us because of the moment, because of the things that are around us, whether the... That'd be something exciting, scary, fight or or fight, whatever it is. Maybe we shut off even the idea of some common decencies. Now I'm circling back around towards the underwear. So we're going to look at some scripture today where some folks were so overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus that they did something that just didn't seem normal. So turn to chapter 21 in the book of John. We'll start right there in verse 1. And this is what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, they said to him. We will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they were caught. They caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Now, I'm going to pause there. If you remember, way back in the beginning when Jesus met them, this is how he met them almost the exact same statement to these group of fishermen. Hey, you out there, have you caught anything? We're making a full circle here, people, in the book of John, and Jesus does it with them. And then he goes on, he says, children, have you caught any fish? The answer was no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in. Because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, remember that's John. That's how he, <laughs> he kind of puts this moniker on himself. I'm the one whom Jesus loves. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped down to work in his underwear, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in in the boat, dragging the net full, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have and you have just caught, so that Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. They counted And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples and was raised from the dead. An amazing moment. We heard last week that when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time, they were were actually filled with fear and apprehension, but then that was sprinkled with joy and hope as they realized who it was. Here, however, that's gone. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to them, and it's just joy. They're overwhelmed in it. It's like I talked about earlier. It's like opening the best gift and dancing into the TV so it falls off the wall. They couldn't help themselves. And then John, in pure John style, (laughs) I love John because there's something about him, maybe a little brother attitude, um, maybe a little bit of poking the bear. He says this in verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. You know, I, I think in part, uh, this is just me, this may be a sean but I, I think that that John was kind of like, I, I, you sometimes watch NASCAR for the crashes. Um, I think he might have been doing that here with, with Peter. He's like, maybe if I say this out loud maybe peter will do something crazy and peter doesn't disappoint peter puts on his clothes and jumps into the water you see in this time a fisherman would take off their outer garments and basically fish in their underwear a couple of reasons why one it's it's hot it's humid. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It was, it was just practical. The other practical reason was that it kept their garments clean. These are not rich people. They, they don't have a full weeks of wardrobe to go working. And, and fishing's a smelly job. So they would hang up their clothes away from all of that. stays dry. It gets a little less smelly. And then once they're done hauling, once they're done mending the, the the nets, they they would head back into shore. And right before they got to shore, they'd put on their garments and and they would go about their normal business. But Peter shirks that practical practice and puts his clothes on to swim. Take a moment and think what it would be like in this time. They have they're out they're undergarments, they have their inner tunic, which is still kind of like a robe, and then they would have their outer tunic. He put those on to swim. Now, again, here's where I think John probably was restraining himself in the writing of this account, because you know, he, like I said, he likes to poke the bear a little bit here. He said it earlier during the crucifixion that he was the one who outran everybody else to the tomb, I think he showed some restraint by not doing what I might have done, which was, and Peter dove in with all of his clothes while the disciple whom Jesus loved and the others rowed back, beating him to shore. (laughs) This is 100 yards. I don't know about you. I I would have a hard time. I'm not a swimmer, so I'd have a hard time with five yards. Let's be honest. But 100 yards in your clothes... (laughs) John showed restraint by not pointing that out, but I think there's another reason he showed restraint. It wasn't because he cared about what Peter was doing. It was because he was so overwhelmed too to see his Savior. What better gift? What what more important gift could there be than being able to be in the presence of Jesus one more time? So they all get to the shore. Peter gets out. I, I wonder if he ever went, well, that was silly. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But they get to shore, and they're in the presence of the Lord again. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I could imagine if I was in the tangible presence of Jesus, how excited I would be. This isn't the only time that there's been questionable wardrobe choices. We're going to turn back to the Old Testament now. <clears throat> Told you it was about underwear. We're going to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 14. And let me set the stage. David as the king, <clears throat> victorious in the name of the Lord, is coming back home. And this is where we pick it up. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. I don't even know what that looks like. But the only word I can put with it is overwhelmed. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So I gotta sh- I've got to set that up. Because none of us wear ephods anymore. <laughs> so ephods were a priestly garment. Basically they were an apron. They were an apron that the priests would wear over their garments to signify who they were in the community of Israel. And that's all David was wearing, plus his undies. Dancing. And how do we know that? Let's look ahead here. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sounds of the horn as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in his heart, in her heart. David was overwhelmed and going against her idea of social norms. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And if we jump down to verse 20, it continues. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, Came out to him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself, going around half naked and few, in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to his wife, It was before the Lord, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I love this line, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, they, them I shall be held in honor. And what David was saying is, listen, you don't understand because for some reason you're not in the presence of the Lord, but those people, the ones you were watching from the window, they understood. I did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. I was so overwhelmed in the presence. You see, the ark represents the presence of God. It was God with them. It, it was like Jesus on the shoreline. You know, Jesus is God with us. He's Emmanuel. We're going to hear that a lot over these next four weeks. They were overwhelmed in the presence. David couldn't help but dance in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and we've got to be careful because I think we could all say this is, that was just for them. That was just for them. We don't have that sort of thing anymore. And, and I would say, stop. We do. The Holy Spirit We've heard it over this last couple of weeks. We're going to hear it in January again and a lot. The Holy Spirit is our ark. That is the presence of the Lord in us all the time. You know Jesus, you've got the Spirit. You surrender to Jesus, you've got the Spirit. You've heard over the last couple weeks that you can call on the Spirit to do even more, to, to overwhelm you if need be. But Scripture doesn't stop with just the Holy Spirit. Scripture goes on with more promises. In Matthew twenty-eight twenty, it says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus. This is red-letter stuff in Scripture promising, I will be with you to the end of the age. And if you think it's only in times that are joyful or he's pushing us to do something, no, even in Matthew 18, 20, he says this. This is, this is a scripture, Eighteen Matthew 18 is about conflict and how do you interact with each other in the church if there's conflict and Jesus' promise, and behold, I am with you, oh, excuse me, that where two or three are gathered, he is there also in Matthew eighteen twenty, So even in conflict, the promise is there. The ark is there. There's Jesus on the shoreline always offering the opportunity to be in our presence. So, let me ask you another question. How often do you respond to the Lord in his presence with unhindered joy? Do you relate to David and and thinking, I I could become more even undignified than this? Do you let that sort of power soak in? Do you jump headlong into the waters of Jesus and his blessing, not thinking of what people think of you? Because all that matters is what Jesus sees. Now, here's the part where I try to keep my job and, and, and say this. I'm not advocating you dance in your underwear. Okay? <laughs> Hear me on that. There are probably still things we just shouldn't do. But have you ever experienced mm, that joy? Now, I understand that some of you might right now be going, but, but sometimes my response to being in the presence of the Lord doesn't always seem like joy. Sometimes, ah. Uh, It's different. And here's the deal. Scripture speaks of conviction. It speaks of sorrow. It even says have joy in suffering. And my response back to that is take it when Jesus gives it. There's a reason. There may be a time where you're like, oh, my heart breaks for the world around me for my lost friends, for family, for for those who are battling sickness and poverty, those who who are treated differently because of how they look. My, My heart is broken for that. And I say, amen. There's something even joyful about the fact that we have the opportunity to feel that. Because the world doesn't. But know that sometimes, if not a good portion of the time, we should feel joy in the Lord. And if you're not, okay, I'm not trying to make a judgment call on your life, but if you're not, maybe something's out of balance. Maybe you haven't tapped in to who Jesus really is yet. And, And that's all part of our walks and our journey in faith. But look for it. Remember, this this book, the the book of John, one of its themes, its main theme is seeing Jesus. It's it's looking and seeking and finding him. One of the ways I wanna encourage you to do that, even in these hard times, it is hard. We all have friends who are suffering. Even in these hard times, find joy. Get in the presence of the Lord. I've been keeping kind of this mental list over these last two years. Little redemption blessings, I've been calling them, of things that, that we go, okay, how could this worldwide pandemic have any redemption quality? How could, how could the way that our, our people have interacted with other people, and I'm, I'm saying our people as people of faith, because right now there's a lot of us out there that are not making wise choices in the way that we walk in the light. How how could I find redemption in in this geopolitical world that just seems so messy? And there are, there's, there's redemptive things even in that. My family has never been so close. I've seen people go, if this is what the world has to offer, there's got to be more. And they've been pushed to seek Jesus even more. And I've got a list of things like that that came out or are coming out of this mess. Jesus promises joy. It's there. Now, I think there's another thing here that's happening. Because I I think we we would fail in the reading of the last chapter of John if we didn't look at this. But something empowering happens too. Remember back when I said that that this was a full net, 153 plus fish. Remember how Peter jumped in, swam 100 yards in his clothes. Remember how, after six other guys couldn't haul in a net, Peter could. I think there's more to this. There's an empowering that takes place. Was it just adrenaline? Maybe, but it still was adrenaline produced by the joy of being overwhelmed in the presence of the Lord. Or was it something supernatural? The fish of the time, the normal fish, were called, they're still there, they're tilapia. There's fish in the Sea of Galilee that's actually called St. Peter's fish because they believe these are the fish that they caught. A a good-sized tilapia four to five pounds. 153 of them. I, I went to Norway, so my mouth is never great, but that's over 750 pounds. Net didn't tear. Boat didn't sink. Peter hauled it in. There's an empowering promise from the Lord as well to do what John finishes with here in the last few verses. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 19. Starting in 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. I just swam 100 yards in my clothes. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That empowerment, that overwhelmed joy leads to the second point for this morning, which is Jesus takes this moment to position us, specifically Peter here, to do his kingdom work. Jesus takes the moment to position us to do his kingdom work. Next slide. So many, so much time between slides. There we go. You see, we find Jesus when we seek him. We're overwhelmed by him when we find him. And then Jesus says, All right, I've got you. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the tools to go and do my work. You see, Peter had kind of given up on the work when he denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion. And because Jesus is the best teacher in the world, then, now, and ever, He took that moment to teach Peter one more time, listen, you are not lost because of those past choices. I can reposition you to do my work. I can reposition you through that joy, through that power to move forward and do something amazing. Go now and take what you've experienced, that overwhelmed moment that threw you into the water the first time when you walked on it. Remember, Peter was that dude. And this time, when you lost control of your senses (laughs) and put your clothes back on to swim, take all that that was, the three years of being in the presence of the Lord, and now go do something with it. It's that natural outpouring of experiencing the Lord, which now brings us really full circle. We started with this idea of come and see back in January. You know, we said a true follower will continually, a con- true disciple will continually to seek, find ways to seek the Lord. And when when found, to take that and use it, and to keep our gaze on him. And then that gaze, that, that constantly looking at Jesus reminds us of that statement we started with. You guys remember the statement we started with in January? Jesus is. Oh, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When you put your gaze on Jesus, you see God. If you continually put yourself in the presence of the Lord, you see God. Think of it this way. Our journey as followers of Christ is kind of like a flywheel. If you're not familiar with a flywheel, what it is, it's in multiple applications. You could see it way back in time when a flywheel, it's a big, metal, heavy wheel. It would be used in sawmills. The the miller would get it and, and get it started. And once it got started, it was hard to stop. You have one in your car, The starter in your car is a small little mechanism that powers a big flywheel in your car that once it gets moving, you have a car that runs. Our journey with Christ is is like a flywheel. At first, we walk into it, and sometimes it feels a little harder to get it started. But the more that we experience Christ, the more that that flywheel spins. The more that that flywheel spins, the harder it is for you to get in the way of it if you're in the presence of the Lord. The harder it is to to stop, the harder it is to run into barriers or speed bumps in your life, roadblocks to keep it from moving. It looks like this. The flywheel to start is seeking the Lord, as it spins, it gets a little faster, and it's finding more of his character, his teaching, his power and call. The wheel is spinning even faster. Then we see, like this morning, it spins really fast. When we get overwhelmed in his presence, it's, it can't be stopped. And then the natural outpouring of that, that flywheel moving is now going and telling everybody why the flywheel, how the flywheel, where the flywheel is going, because of Jesus. That's the full circle. That's, that's seeing Jesus, and then the disciples saw him again at the end. It's, it's seeing Jesus for the first time, and going, I need that. I have to have that. That fills a gap, a void in my life, that, that I've never understood why I was there. And then it's continually seeking and seeing him to keep that momentum alive. But I love his promise. His promise is, once we got that flywheel going, I'll keep it going. Philippians says that he, what, that, that, that start, that thing that he started and got moving in us, he will complete it. Are you in that run of your journey? Are are you spinning up that flywheel? Are you so overwhelmed that you dance around and knock over the Christmas tree? Are you sharing why you're overwhelmed with those around you? Would people know it? Do you come out of the water drenched, fully clothed? Do people go, whoa, that person's a little different? Do they notice it? I don't know what type of dancer you are. you got to be careful because dancing may be bad for you. Wasn't for wasn't for David. But do people go, why are they doing that with all their might? Do they notice it in you? Do they see when bad things happen to you, when this world crushes down on you, that you react in a different way? Not the way the world reacts. Not the way that those who are far from God react, but how those who are in the presence of Jesus should react. That, that is what this gospel, that's what the book of John is calling us to do. To look different, to act different, to be the people of Jesus. As we head into Christmas, as we head into really these next four weeks, we're gonna keep talking about this. We're gonna be diving into a a Christmas series of hope. One of those things when you start getting your flywheel going, one of the things you find out about Jesus, the thing you see about Jesus is hope. And we need that. We've gotta have that. So my my prayer for you, for us, is go see Jesus, find him, keep finding him, keep seeking him. If you don't know him, if you're here, if you're online with us, if you don't know him, please come talk to someone, talk to me, talk to those who are dancing with all their might. Talk to those who are so overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus that, that they would jump in fully clothed. If you do know Jesus, be that person for someone else. Please, but know that we have something the world doesn't have right now, and that's hope. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the book of John and and your entirety of scripture, but just for us right now in this moment a book that has driven us to our knees, has driven us into your stories, has driven us into a place where we can't help but keep our gaze on the sun. Father, as we come into Christmas, as, as we're reminded of this glorious moment in time where you and your infinite wisdom, power, and love sent Jesus for us, please remind us, please tattoo it on our hearts, that he is the savior of the world and is a light to those who are blind right now. Father, we pray that you would move in mighty ways, that you would move us in mighty ways. Even this week as we move out after hearing these words, that they wouldn't just fall short for a Sunday morning and not apply for the week, that they would be something that is lifelong. We give you all of that. And I pray for those in this room right now who may not know you. Father, get them into a place with someone who dances in your presence with all their might. We pray all these things in the dear Savior's name. Amen.